I just want to remind you um, that Ecclesiastes, as we know, is a difficult book. Uh, it's a difficult book uh, in part because of its honesty. Uh, Solomon makes observations of this world under the sun apart from God that are just brutally honest. And, and there are actually some parts in, in Ecclesiastes that are kind of surprising that they're even in the Bible. And, and one of those passages is today. And another thing that makes Ecclesiastes difficult is because, you know, just when you think, um, you, you know, you're going to be depressed and, and, and Solomon's just bringing you down, he, he concludes that, um, you know, people are to accept each day as a gift from the hand of God. All right, so there, there's an, an upbeat in, in his thinking. And then back down. And then he concludes again. So, um, but we need to take it all together in Ecclesiastes and remember that the conclusion is to fear God and keep his commandments. So um, today is another one of those difficult sections. Um, and again, uh, at the end of chapter 2, after he observes the world of work, after he observes the world of pleasure, uh, after he observes the world of, of um, accumulating things, and he declares it all vanity, he declares it all meaningless, it's all vapor. You know, again, at the end of chapter 2, he says that, well, people are to accept each day as a gift uh, from the hand of God. Well, why? Because, like we talked about last time in Ecclesiastes, uh, I mean, in chapter 3, 1 through 8, with, with that beautiful poem, it explains it's because God has a reason and a time for all things. Uh, people may be ignorant of or, 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 or not be able to know or discern God's timing, uh, but they are called to enjoy life in the present and, and trust in God's sovereignty. And, and that's kind of where we left off the uh, last, last time we were here. And, and, and now that's good advice. You know, enjoy life in the present. Uh, after all, it's a gift from God and, and trust in God's sovereignty. Uh, but then Solomon perceives another problem. He, he kind of gets, uh, gets down again. He sees another issue under the sun, apart from God, and that frustrates him. He can't find an answer to this either. And, and that's where we're going to be today. So essentially, Solomon perceives that life is unfair. Okay, that's, I know that's a great revelation to you. Life is unfair. Um, so let's, let's read uh, chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. There's that word again. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. 
Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And then verse uh, 1 through 3 in chapter 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort the oppressed. And I thought that the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not yet been born, and not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So praise God for his word. Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Um, as uh, Eric mentioned, uh, growing. Lord, we grow through reading your word. Lord, help us to grow this morning. Draw us closer to you and help us to, to come out of here uh, closer to you, Lord, and um, growing in our faith and our knowledge of you, Lord. We thank you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Solomon perceives a, spew, a few specific areas where, where life is unfair. He sees injustice where there should be justice in, in verses 16 and 17. He, he sees death where we, we would hope to see something better in, in verses 18 to 21. And then he sees oppression where there ought to be comfort in those first few verses of chapter 4. So in verses 16 and 17, Solomon recognizes that, that something... He recognizes something that all people become aware of uh, from early childhood and that there is injustice and wickedness in the world. I mean, we, we recognize that, you know, from you know, when we're two years old. But more specifically here, he recognizes that, that there is injustice and wickedness in places where there shouldn't be, uh, like the courts and in government. Solomon says even there, even in the place of justice, the courts, and even there, even in the place of right, righteousness, which, which we think is the government, uh, there is wickedness. Solomon is saying that in the very places where, where the laws are supposed to be upheld and protected, those are the places where the laws are being broken. The victims go to the courts or the governments to seek justice, and they end up being victimized. Or, or laws that are intended to protect the weak, the helpless, and the victimized, they end up, um, they end up helping the perpetrators. And, and unfairness and injustice, they make us angry, don't they? Uh, and we can, deal, we can deal with sadness, we can deal with heartbreak and grief, but when, when that sadness and heartbreak and grief is caused by injustice, we get angry. I know I do. If someone drives off the road and, and uh, and it hits a tree and, and people are killed. Well, that's a horrible, horrible tragedy. Uh, we, we would all agree. But when, but when we learn that the reason that the car went off the road is, is due to a manufacturing defect, which was due to the negligence of, of, of the company itself, uh, I mean, on the part of the automaker, that adds a whole new level of grief, a whole, adds a whole new level of tragedy. Uh, and and we, we say that's unjust, it's injustice. Be, and, and then the company usually just pays a fine and, and it's, it's done with. Well, the, these are the types of injustices that perplex Solomon. But Solomon seems to have an answer for this. He says in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. 
for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Now, the second part of that verse should be familiar to us. There is a time. He's referring back to the poem uh, in in the beginning of chapter 3. But I think when he says time, it's a key word here. Solomon struggles with God's timing here. Now remember, Solomon is talking about things under the sun apart from God. We don't know much about what Solomon's view of the afterlife is at this time. But we do know that from the viewpoint of under the sun, at the end, there is only death. And that's it. And Solomon's going to have more to say about that. But when Solomon says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, I don't know if he actually believes this. Uh, Or if he does believe it, he doesn't seem to be comforted by it in in the way we would be comforted by it. With our revelation, what we know about Jesus, what we know about the New Testament, what we know about the New Covenant. Uh, So I I don't think he's comforted by it. And the reason I don't think he believes it or or he's not sure about that, uh, that God will judge the righteous and the wicked, is that he says says this in his heart. He doesn't observe it in the world, in other words. He, He almost has to convince himself of it because he doesn't see that God will judge the the wicked in real life. He doesn't see it. What Solomon sees is the man who goes to court seeking justice after having been wronged, and the offending party gets off on a technicality after after this costs the man thousands and thousands of dollars, all for nothing. Or or, or he sits in the jury knowing that the person on trial is, is, is innocent, but has no chance because the persecution has unlimited resources and the jury is obviously prejudiced. You know, that's what he sees. Or, or he reads in the newspaper. Uh, I, I just read recently that another uh, person got released from jail because the DNA, DNA evidence um, showed that they were innocent. They, they were in jail for like 12 years. Uh, but the, the DNA testing proved them innocent at all. So, uh, after all, so they, they walk out of prison and you know, after wasting you know, 12 years of their life and um, behind bars and they're just, all right, here you go. Um, I'm innocent, yeah, but what about those 12 years? And, and the, the government doesn't give them anything, it's just, you're free. So Solomon wants to believe that God will judge the righteous and the wicked, but observation and empirical evidence, which is what he relies on, uh, seems to suggest otherwise. He doesn't see it with his eyes. And if he doesn't see it now, and here's the timing part, then when? When will God really hold people accountable for their actions? You know, in an ultimate sense. He doesn't know. That's what Solomon is struggling with. And then the next injustice that Solomon observes is that we die, just like the animals. We are like the animals in that we die. Uh, Again, verse 18 through 21. Moreover, I saw, uh, I'm sorry, I said in my heart, oh wait, I'm in the wrong spot. He says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. So so basically, Solomon, what Solomon is saying here is a revisit of the topic of death. It's it's another injustice. 
uh, in his observation. Why? Because people die just like the animals. He observes that we go to the same place, all return to the dust. He sees a man being buried, he sees an animal being buried, and they return to the same place, they, they return to the ground. Uh, and if you, if you dig up the bones years later of the man and the, and the bones uh, of the animal, uh, you have bones and dust. I mean, it, it's, it's the same results. Therefore, Solomon concludes that man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Uh, and then he goes on, verse 21, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? And what he's saying, and I think we have to admit, that there's a mystery about death. Uh, we, we've never had anyone come back from the dead and, and give us a testimony of what it was like, have we? I, I know there are some you know, dubious movies and, and some books out there, but in reality, no one's ever come back from the dead and said, hey, this is what it's like. You know, it, it, it's great or, or it's whatever. So the, death is, is a mystery, and it's especially a mystery to Solomon. So there's, there's no concrete evidence in his eyes to um, what happens to us when we die. Now again, we have the benefit of, of greater revelation than Solomon did, you know, with the New Testament and what Jesus and the apostles taught about death and the afterlife. So our faith has a lot more substance uh, to back it up. But we still need to rely on faith. We still need to trust in God's promises. So in verses 18 through 21, Solomon observes these three things. He observes that death is God's way of showing that we are different from him. And we're different from God. I mean, obviously, we're vastly different. We are finite. God is infinite. And, and even though we are made in God's image, uh, we are much more like the animals than we are like God. God is the creator. We, along with the animals, are the created. And then he also says the, universe, the universality of death uh, causes us to question God's justice. Why do all die? Why do both the wicked and the righteous die? And for that matter, why do humans die along with the animals? if we're so different. According to Solomon, under the sun, humans share with animals. They, sh they share with animals death. They share breath, and, you know, which is another word for life. And they share the destiny. They return to the dust. Now, we might think that we're above mere beasts. Um, you might think that we have some sort of advantage or, or preeminence over, let's say, your dog. Uh, and yes, in many ways, you and I are higher than the animals. We are, we are made in God's image, after all. Yet both you and your dog and your cat and your parakeet or, or your iguana or your tarantula, you know, whatever uh, it is, um, will die someday. Uh, Solomon calls that vanity. It, it's, it's meaningless. And then third, Solomon observes that there is a mystery to death. Who knows? Who knows what happens when we die, he says. 
And, and when Solomon compares humans to animals in verse 21, he seems to be saying, you know, how do you know, really know, O oh natural man, uh, whether your end is any more special than that of the beasts? Uh, and, and still, with verse 22, um, after you know, all this depressing talk about uh, injustice and death, in verse 22, he shares a similar so solution to what he shared previously. He says, so I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work uh, or his activity. Again, he's referring to, to all the activities that God has ordained in that poem in the beginning of chapter 3. He says, for that is his lot, and who can bring him to see what is after him? So once again, Solomon seems to be randomly you know, throwing this solution into the mix here, um, and, and without warning. And, and again, that's one of the difficult things about Ecclesiastes. Um, so the last part of that verse, where he says, who can bring him to see what is after him? Um, in my opinion, it, it refers to the present life. It's not talking about the afterlife. In other words, Solomon's asking, who, who can know the future of your life here under the sun? Who knows what's going to come next tomorrow or next month or next year? Um, so that's what he, he means when he's talking about um, who can bring him to see what's after him. And then he says, um, since we don't know, enjoy the idea that God has made everything beautiful in its time, or God has appointed a time for everything in his life. And then another observation that Solomon makes. He sees, that oppression, he sees oppression where there should be comfort. He says again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, but there was no one to comfort the oppressed. So Solomon has observed that there is injustice, where there should be justice. He's considered the, the universality of, of death. You know, all living creatures die, and he knows that he can't see what will come after him. Now he shares his observations on oppression under the sun. Now, oppression basically refers to, you know, the powerful exploiting the weak uh, to their own advantage. And, and just like injustice, we know what oppression looks like. Uh, we, definitely know, we definitely know when we, we experience it um, and we, when we feel it. And, and as we know, oppression has a way of, of demeaning a person, it has a, a way of devaluing their humanity. So much so that Solomon also writes, and I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not yet been born, and has not seen the evil deeds that are under the sun. He's saying you're better off never being born at all. And that way, if you're not born at all, you'll never see all those evil deeds that happen in this world. So these verses paint a vivid picture. Uh, on one side, the oppressed are in tears, and on the other side, the oppressors have power. 
and, and the, the oppressed have no one to comfort them. There's no help. There's no hope for rescue. It's, it's better to be dead. Uh, or better than that, never to have been born. Uh, and, and there's no stronger way, I, I think, uh, to describe the plight of the oppressed here in, in that there's it, it better off never to be born. Um, so, it, it, I mean, if we, we stop and let that soak in for a minute, um, what it's like to be oppressed. And, and another thing, that's, that's language that you wouldn't expect to see in Scripture. Um, I mean, is there such a thing as a life not worth living? That's, that's what Solomon is expressing here or, or is asking. Well, let, let me just say that Solomon is not advocating suicide and he's not advocating you know, celibacy or, or not having children. That's not what he's saying. He's just highlighting in the strongest possible terms uh, the plight of the oppressed. You know, that's what it's like to be oppressed, he's saying. And we, we need to remember, too, that there are, there are many in, instances in, in you know, world history where the oppressed become the oppressors. I mean, if you've ever read um, A Tale of Two Cities about the French Revolution, you know, the, um, thousands and thousands were killed when the oppressed ended up being the oppressors. Uh, the Russian Revolution, uh, you know, 10 million, nobody really knows how many people died during the Russian Revolution. But this was supposed to be utopia for the Russian people, that when communism came in, well, the oppressors, I mean, the oppressed ended up being the oppressors. And um, I, was, I was reading about um, recently the Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia during the mid-70s. You know, they, they called it the killing fields. Well, the leader, Paul Pot, in his social engineering uh, program, uh, over two million deaths happened. And, and so he was, you know, the leader of the oppressed who ended up uh, being an oppressor. And, and that's according to... Um, Solomon, that's life under the sun. So th that's what I mean about um, Ecclesiastes being brutally honest. It, it's showing us, you know, this is the way the world is. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, but this was like 2,500 years ago, and things haven't really changed all that much, have they? So what are we, what are we supposed to do with this passage? Again, Solomon observes injustice where there should be justice. He observes that man has no advantage. He dies just like the animals. He also observes oppression uh, with no one to comfort the oppressed. I mean, it, it, it's pretty depressing, or it can be. And, and there, are few, there are few things that call into question God's immoral governance of the world than the existence of injustice and oppression in, in the world. It's that whole question of, you know, if God's the God of love, why is there evil in the world? I mean, we hear that all the time. And, and it raises questions like, how can such things be allowed to happen? And, and why is nothing being done to stop this evil? Well, as far as I'm concerned, to say that evil is allowed uh, and that nothing is being done 
to stop evil is, is human arrogance at its worst. And, and I'm going to explain why. I mean, how can we, as the faithful, you know, claim on one hand, while, you know, while patting ourselves on the back, that, you know, God is my co-pilot, you know, He's in control, He's sovereign over all things. And then on the other hand, question why God, you know, could allow that terrible thing to happen. You know, whatever that terrible thing is. I mean, I don't know, maybe God's trying to get your attention. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe God's calling you to faith and repentance, you know, to a life of eternity. Uh, maybe it's your fault. And, and if you had followed God's advice in the first place, you know, that terrible thing wouldn't have happened. You know, or maybe it's just because we live in a fallen world uh, where terrible things happen. You know, I, I don't know. Um, And then someone might ask, well, what about the evil in the world? There's injustice, there's death, there's oppression. It says it right there in the scripture. And what about that evil? Well, the, the fact and reality is that this side of Christ's return, uh, there will always be injustice, oppression, and, and, and death. And, and our job, or as, as uh, Solomon likes to say it, our work or toil... Or, or a lot, he said that in his verse, I think our job is, is fairly simple. is to love God and, and love our neighbor. So, yes, there is injustice. And part of loving God and loving our neighbor is, is to help fight it in, in some way, whether that's electing the right people or, or whatever. I, I don't know. Help fight injustice. We can pray against Injustice. We can expose it uh, when we see it. And how about this? We can expose it in our own hearts uh, when there's injustice in our hearts. We can help victims of injustice. And, um, and of course, don't be unjust yourself. I mean, loving God and loving your neighbor fits right into the, that prescription right there. And yes, there is oppression. Will help help fight that too. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you why. But, I mean, how? But you know, we, we can help fight it in some way. We can help by praying against oppression, and again, we can help by exposing it. And, and again, exposing oppression in our own hearts. I mean, it's um, a, a lot of husbands, without even knowing it, oppress their wives. It doesn't have to be you know this big national thing. Um, some brothers and sisters oppress their little brothers and sisters. I mean, we have it in our hearts to do that. So expose it. Expose it in your own heart. Comfort the oppressed. If you know someone who has been oppressed or, or is being oppressed, well, we can do something about that too. Comfort the oppressed. And again, don't be an oppressor. And yes, there is death. And death is the ultimate evil. When sin entered the world, death entered the world along with it. Uh, one, um, one scholar wrote, death is what sin chooses. Uh, death is what sin receives. And death is what sin deserves. And that's all through the Bible. So yes, there is the evil of sin and death. But here's what we need to remember. 
know, despite all of the realities of the world, despite what we observe, uh, whether, whether we observe it in our lives, in our friends' lives, uh, or, or whether we observe it in the world, in the news, uh, we need to remember that God did do something about it. He did do something about it. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Amen? But not only did he send his son Jesus to die for his sins, he, he didn't stop there. Jesus died, yes, but he was also raised, conquering death, conquering sin and death. Amen again? I mean, Romans 4.25 says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's what God did to defeat evil in this world. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But Christ's resurrection uh, was the defeat of the sin. sin um, death is no more. Now, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Life opposite of death. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And finally, when the living Jesus finally returns, because Jesus is still alive, we might not see him, he's still alive. When the living Jesus finally returns, all injustice, all oppression, all death will be no more. In Revelation 21.4 says, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our hope. That's our promise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know the um, wickedness and injustice and oppression in this world. Lord, we, we know it's even in our own hearts, Lord. But we also know that you came to this earth to take care of that, Lord. You came so that we might have life and have life abundantly, Lord, that there might be hope and joy and peace, Lord. Help us, as we prayed earlier, to grow in our knowledge and faith in you, Lord. Help us, um, as we grow, Lord, help us to uh, share this truth that we have, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, in faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, Lord, and that there, through Jesus, we can have a new life, Lord. We can impact our families, Lord. We can impact our communities. We can impact even this world, Lord. Uh, one sharing of the gospel at a time, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.